Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to episode 68 here on August 18th. Really excited to share this one with you. It's the first one where I talk to a family member of mine. And on the show today, you get to meet my baby cousin, Andy, and learn about his childhood and upbringing in Arkansas and Arizona, how he found his confidence, his discipline, and self-love through martial arts, and what life has been like for him in New York City the past year and a half. Really excited to share this one. It means a lot to me that I was able to share this conversation with my cousin. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Andy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Uh, whenever you're listening to this and from wherever you're listening to this, uh, we wish you all the health, safety, and happiness in the world. We're in the thick of things in August uh, with 90 days to go towards the election. You know, 2020 has been obviously a hell of a year. And even I think that is an understatement. And it's given a lot of us time to think, uh, reflect, and perhaps even reconnect with uh, parts of our lives or people in our lives that we really haven't got a chance to do so. And so this episode is one of the coolest ones that I'm going to do. And I know that we're setting ourselves up uh, for what must be an epic conversation. And when I started doing these episodes back in March and started recording a little bit before that, I had no idea where this would lead me. But also, I had really no idea what type of people I would meet and what type of stories I'd be able to tell. And for the first time, I have a family member on the show, which is actually really, really exciting for me. Andrew is here. I might call him Andy at times because that's how <laughs> I got. I started calling him when, when he was a, a much younger man than he is today. Um, Andrew is a cousin on my dad's side. Um, my father and his mother are siblings. And so uh, obviously I've known him for all of his life. But yeah, he is an amazing, awesome dude. Um, would love to hear his take. And I, I think his story might resonate with a lot of you, though it certainly was something new and, and a different Korean American and Asian American experience than I had. Um, so Andy, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Cass. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. You, you were on my mind early on when I started doing these shows because um, obviously we've we've known each other a long time, but um, as cousins who live in different states and, you know, we're, uh, you know, a few years apart, uh, six years apart. So we didn't really overlap through our, you know, main experiences. And, and so, you know, now that uh, we're both in our 30s and I think live life and we can talk about certain things um, on a more similar level, it's been really exciting to see you uh, blossom and uh I don't want to say grow up because I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I'm that much older than you because I'm not. Uh, but it's been really cool to see. And so I think 2020 also has been a transformation year uh, for the last year and a half as, as you uh, decided to leave the comforts of home in Arizona and, and move to uh, the biggest city in the world to, you know, experience new things and whatnot. So um, we're going to get to talking about uh, your life uh, growing up in uh, parts of the country where people probably didn't know that uh, Korean Americans lived. And then, you know, talking about your love for uh, jujitsu and, and how that's helped shape your identity and your confidence and um, eventually getting to talk about what you do um, after work is over for the last few months, which is to really, you know, voice your opinion and use your constitutional rights to go and, and, and fight for and, and stand for the people who definitely need it more. Super excited. And, and so if, if our listeners are like, OK, 
Um, <laughs> I had no idea who this guy Andy was, but I guess it makes sense. It's Jerry's cousin. And, and so uh, nepotism. Well, it's not nepotism. I think it was <laughs> I know, like I episode 60 something. Um, and we'll, we'll see if any other cousin, either on the dad or the mom side, um, you know, is another guest. So this one's pretty special. Um, I don't know if any of the, uh, the adults, uh, were adults, but if any of our parents <laughs> folks are listening, if you're listening, hello, uh, we might say some shit that you might not approve of, but, uh, it is what it is. Uh, yep. so let, let's get going. Uh, sh- share with us, um, how, how the Lee family became Korean Americans. Um, you know, how did your parents end up here? Um, where were you born and, you know, sort of, uh, lay the groundwork for Andrew, the man that he is today, but in the earlier years. Definitely. Um, so my dad uh, went to college out in uh, Michigan. Um, I always get them mixed up. He went to Eastern Michigan and then Central Michigan. I think he did his for his. I think his master's in engineering, and I forget. And I, I don't remember which one he did for undergrad and which one he did his postgrad. But he was in. Yeah. So went by himself to Michigan for a few for a little while, and then got married to my mom, and she came with him for back to Michigan um, for, yeah. And had, they had my brother there. Um, and then I think, yeah, I, was, I think he'd been out of college for a few years. I think actually, I think that maybe they had him during post-grad. I always forget. Like, um, and then uh, they moved to Russellville, Arkansas for work. My dad got a job with, I don't remember who. Um, I think it was. Ryobi. Yeah, it was Ryobi. Okay. I didn't remember who was, which, what the order Tool was. manufacturer. Right. Yeah, tool manufacturer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for some reason, just Russellville, Arkansas. I think I looked it up years ago and it was like, I think they had like 30,000 people or something, at least at the th- like, it was a very small town. It's definitely from my parents' recollection. I think we were like either one or uh, I think maybe two Asian families in the entire city. I think they were like Chinese or something, um, the other family. So it was definitely a, Definitely not a super diverse <laughs> cultural background, but uh, we moved when I was four. So I don't really remember any of that growing up. It was, I, I think, honestly, I think two other times of like how interesting that would have been if I had grown up there, how different I would be as a person, like growing up in such a different environment. Um, but we, then when I was four, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, yeah. And out in the suburbs, uh, like very pretty far in the West Valley. It was, uh, originally, we moved to Awatuki, um, and I went to. I think we were there for, from when I was in like. Actually, yeah, from when I was four until I was in about seventh or eighth grade, and we moved to a different part of the valley. I spent most of my formative years there, and then went to Chandler. I'm just like listing things here. <laughs> I no, stop. no, no. I I think it's good. Like, let's look back to Arkansas for a little bit. Um, yeah. That's where I actually technically first met you. We had visited uh, you guys in Arkansas before we immigrated. I think it was before we knew that mm. we were moving here. Um, if my memory serves me correct, it was, um, I think it was uh, like right maybe when you were a year or two. Um, and so I think it we, we, moved, we moved here in 92. So I, I imagine it was before that. Um, in 91. And and so that was sort of, you know, in my earliest of childhood memories, sort of like a introduction to what America was, right? And I think what America was 
explained to me was sort of under the lens of how your dad and your mom had interpreted it, right? And it, I can only imagine, you know, the fascinating experiences that they had. And now as adults living in different parts of America to understand how shitty it must have been for them to deal yeah. with the blatant racism that we, I think, were led to believe didn't exist in this country and through really crappy circumstances and just sort of social media and cameras and everything, just it rearing its ugly head. And, and you know, so I, I think it's um, really good to get that context, right? So, you know, in uh, where Eastern Michigan is, which is one town over from where University of Michigan is, um, in the greater Detroit area, it's a little bit more diverse um, in those Midwestern engineering type schools. Um, there were then, as it is now, um, small pockets of Korean and Asian international students that had some resemblance of a community. But then for them to, um, as many people do today, but more so back then, um, follow the money and, and follow the job and just be like, you know what, Russellville, Arkansas, like, fuck let's it, let's it. go. Let's go. Right? Like, let's go. And, and yeah. really having no idea or no real luxury to make a decision based on, is this a legit place for us to raise Asian kids, right? Like, and the greater Phoenix area, more diverse now, but even then when you guys moved there. Yeah. Super, what? like, yeah. Yeah, 25 years ago. Especially this, I mean, the suburbs, even to this day, it's highly, like, I would describe it as segregated. You know, very, very suburban is very white. And then there would be pockets here and there of, you know, black and brown people. Um, and out in Russellville, I mean, definitely i i don't know the demographics of the city but like i just know like my parents like they decided at early like he, i would speak english first they didn't speak korean to me first mm. in the household um and then had me learn english after and part of that was because we're in you know we're in russellville arkansas like he's gonna have an accent it's already gonna be you know someone who's different like you know what i mean like it it, having him kind of be making English be the second language is going to be an additional adjustment for him to deal with. And so like, even for, you know, I guess realistically, even to this day, like I don't speak real conversation. I don't speak Korean well. And so like, that's a something that was influenced just by where I was raised. And so like, uh, you know, kind of like an unconscious, like not conscious, like I guess kind of, it was pretty much a conscious decision in response to like, really what is racist you know we know now we'll call out now right what, what we it always was racist but back in the day it was just different names for different like sure for a, right. for a face that we like kind of recognize better now yeah i think it's unfortunate um i think our parents both of our parents barely well-intentioned right like they, yeah, like, to they, and, and they, did they wanted they the best thought. for me and Correct. realistically i mean realistically they probably were par partially right like they're we're struggle like there are things in life that people like like i've been you know how many times have so many of us been told oh you speak english so well and like you don't have you don't have an accent and like it, like it, it in a way it worked you know what i mean what they what right. the intention was like is pure you know on their part but like it was a reaction to an unfortunate you know a, a fucked up yeah look i i think you know it's in hindsight, it's easy to look back at what we've experienced and perhaps, and, and you and I have had much deeper conversations about the language thing and the cultural thing, but in that moment, they chose um, acceptance of the local community more than 
these kids need to learn their culture and their language, which I think we can sit here and debate 30 years later whether that was the right call or not. Exactly. But in that moment, right? Like, because imagine again, I think for the people that are listening that may not have lived in the middle of the country, like it's a survival choice, right? Like how how tough would have been, tough was it a discussion and a decision for immigrant Asian parents, fresh immigrants, right? Like recent like they came yeah, here to study. pretty recently. Yeah. Within, I guess my dad had been here for like probably less than definitely less than 10 years, right. you know, and by to the time he had actively, me. And was like, yeah. And then to actively decide not to teach your kids your native tongue because like, you yeah, felt or like make it, yeah, them. make it the first thing spoken in the home. Yeah. Cause they right. were, you know, I mean, I learned it, but I just, it felt little bits in here it fell out of practice, never spoke it. It was never the, the main language ever spoken in the home by right. the children. But, but I think it was also sort of in that moment to make sure that from their interpretation and from their care that they wanted you to have every advantage or I guess to put it a diverse or a different way, they didn't want you to have any disadvantages, right? And, and language perhaps and through education, they thought would be the equalizer. Um, is it, was it, who, who knows, right? There are different ways of, of thought about going about it. Um, Share with us a little bit more about growing up in in the greater Phoenix area. You mentioned that it is, uh, you know, highly segregated. When we observe Arizona as a state from the outside, uh, we know that there is a large uh, Latino uh, population there. Obviously, it is a bordering state, um, but we also know it to be a very conservative, affluent white state, um, and you know, stereotypes of Scottsdale and other you know, more uh, stereotypes come to mind. Um, but we never hear like Asian and Arizona in the same sentence. So how was that growing up? Um, you said, you know, uh, when, when I, I checked the Russellville, Arkansas stats in 2010, it was 1.6% Asian. So definitely way back when it was probably less than, you yeah. know, maybe not even a blip on the radar, but oh, yeah. what, what what was it like growing up in, you know, suburbs of Phoenix? Was there, were you, were you and your brother the only Asian kids in town or how was that like? Um, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think we were hundred percent the only Asian kids in like the school, but definitely in like our specific area. I mean, my, other than like family friends of, you know, our parents, like, you know, kids of my, like, my parents' friends, really. I didn't really, wasn't personally exposed to and, and I certainly wasn't close with. There was nobody in, my, in like my immediate area, nobody that I was friends with in school, really, uh, in elementary school. But I was looking back, I'm trying to think, I, I don't think I had any close Asian friends growing up. I didn't have any like friends, even of like partial Asian descent. I think I close, at least they were pretty close to me um, until like probably like junior high. Uh, just by happenstance, like a f- close for like a friend of mine who's like a quarter Korean, but like, mm. um, I think, yeah, it was just, and that was just the demographics of the neighborhood. It was just like mostly white, a couple black kids here and there. Um, but generally like the neighbor, na- at least the suburb, like where we were looking back on it, most of like, actually, I think there's definitely like, obviously like a good Hispanic mix and depending on parts of the area, but like definitely wasn't any other Korean kids. Even going through, I want to say it, all the way through junior high, I think I knew maybe like two or three other Korean kids in my entire school. Um, and so it was just like a definitely, like, yeah, definitely a, it wasn't a, it wasn't part of my identity. It just wasn't right. like, I knew I was Korean. 
And then my parents, you know, it was like a fat, like a thing. If people ask, you know, like, what, you know, what's your background? Like, that was the, the answer that I had. But like, <laughs> other than like, you know, I would go on trips with the family and food that I would eat, but like, I didn't know anything about it. And like, right. it, and like, and I never even, I never realized this stuff. You don't think about it. It's just, you're living your life and you're just living, yeah, going. And it's not like I, it was a terrible life. You know what I mean? It's just like, there was, I, especially like it's things I didn't realize until later in life when I would go into other places and see it and interact and like go to LA and see, you know, a group of Koreans, like a, a town of Koreans interact. And like, I've never, you know, like even now living here in New York city, like even the tiny little strip of Korea town, that's more, you know what I mean? Like more Korean yeah. people and Korean businesses and um, all the, like, you know, even just, just seeing Korean signage, you know what I mean? That's not something that I ne ever saw until like there was like a Korean church built when I was in my twenties or something. Yeah. In, in, yeah. And look, I, and for folks listening, like this isn't really to dissect or uh, shame or, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it's just demonize anything. Right? Correct. Is. But, but, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, uh, some of the most like awesome and like emotional letters that we get from our listeners are from people from states in the middle of the country. And so I, I don't think that your experience is unique at all. And perhaps that's, you know, a, a bit unfortunate to say, but that there are a lot of Asian Americans who uh, want to learn about their culture, but sometimes don't even know where to begin. And, and, and let's put into context and remind the audience too, that um, when you were growing up in the 90s right the early 2000s like the internet right. isn't what we know to be today no right? like, <laughs> i didn't have the internet you're you know really until i was in like junior high pretty much I was certainly right. not high speed internet. it was like aol dial up internet through right parts of my you know elementary school and then finally high speed internet in like seventh grade and that was the but first even the year. information wasn't categorized as much as, oh, yeah. as we assumed that it was i mean technology has advanced so quickly right i mean you know um and, and so I, I think it's fascinating and it's really important to understand that, um, you know, for for a lot of people listening, it's just the context of uh, even if there was desire, which I think is harder to come by when you don't have exposure. So even with the presence of the desire to learn, then where do you go? Right. And I think that's uh, a challenge that I think we just have to uh, accept, you know, so I, I think, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to do this show and so many other fellow creators out there that are leveraging the internet and our free access into those parts of the world is to give a little bit of an exposure and a, and a light um, to whether they're parents of uh, Asian parents or they're uh, transracially adopted or, you know, somehow end up in a community where they just don't see a lot of themselves. How do we get this message out? and to make sure that they feel included or that they get to learn about our culture. Um, so I, I think that's really, really important, man. Um, so I want to talk to you about food, right? Cause, uh, food is one of these cultural things that really reminds us of home or at least binds us together. Um, I'd imagine that Korean food was constantly, you know, maybe not every day, but it, it was a regular part of your life, at least until, you know, you lived, you know, with your folks, um, how did food and, 
you know, some of the other family customs at least help you understand and appreciate Korean culture rather than, you know, because it wasn't zero, correct? Yeah, um, I would definitely say, like, honestly, food was probably my, one of my more consistent ties and, like, things I know, like, things I can commiserate with other people, like, uh, other Koreans with, you know what I mean, and, like, connect with, even though I don't, you know, maybe, like, I don't speak the language and I, you know, didn't grow up there. And the only time I, you know, like, the only time I went to Korea um, was, like, a handful, like, once in my early 20s and once as a child and so i don't you know it's not a lot of memories and not a lot of uh exposure but the cons- one consistent thing is like grew up eating you know good korean food you know home cooking and it's funny like i would other than my parents cooking it there's no re- there was at least growing up uh, especially early on it definitely grew up a little bit by the time by the time i was in college i could go out and get find you know some kind of korean food but obviously like the national popularity of Korean barbecue helps and everything like that to find new restaurants and stuff. Yeah, cool. Let's go. Um, so you, you you grew up in an area and, you know, we used to visit quite often. Maybe it was once a year or twice a year. And, um, you know, certainly more frequently, um, our, our grandparents uh, lived in Phoenix for a while around you guys. So that gave us an opportunity to make the drive out from from Los Angeles, uh, especially when we moved back mm-hmm. uh, from New York City uh in the year 2000 growing up i could always sort of just going to phoenix right like we just assumed that we would see very much diversity right and it's like so it was very different coming from la um and and by then i was in college so like just it was a world of difference and i think um, even those brief moments to arizona really gave me a a deep understanding of how uh, different or perhaps diverse um, america really was depending on what state you were on. And even though it was still, uh, you know, six hour drive, it was still very relatively close um, considering, you know, how, how big the country really is. Um, share with me a little bit about your decision to stay locally and attend Arizona State University. Um, honestly, so in terms of parental influence, um, I don't think they were very strict on you have to be, you know, study a specific field. Um, my dad was definitely very pragmatic and focused on being, you know, making sure like I picked something that would, you know, have an actual career in it and, you know, make sure I understand that that's like the whole point of picking a, a major and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say he was as like, e- you know, either of my parents were very tight on that side of things. Um, now, so I'll, I'll go back, backtrack a little bit. So originally, like I, the only reason I, one of the only reasons I went to ASU is because they offered me a full ride. Um, and no one else did. And the only reason that that happened is because my parents were on my ass all through high school about studying and doing well, you know, doing well. And like, obviously we're all familiar with this. Like, you know, my parents understood the value of, you know, doing well in testing, doing well with your GPA and how much that could unlock, you know, in terms of financially getting, you know, saving you a lot of money to go get higher education. Um, and so that worked out. They, you know, I, there were times I definitely resented, you know, I, I can't go out with my friends until I do this or like, hey, you you have, you know, I have a list of, you know, responsibilities with studies, et cetera, and um, SAT prep, all this stuff. But uh, like in the end, the value of that was I saw much later, you know, in the student debt and all this stuff. But in the moment, I, you know, I 
in the moment I was kind of wrapped up in like just kind of getting just doing just going to school I wasn't it wasn't like a specific I didn't have a, a a vision of the future I you know I wasn't I didn't have life figured out at 18 years old or 17 you know when I was doing all this I applied to a handful mostly California schools at UCLA USC um in, uh but like nobody said yes so <laughs> and so uh or the ones that did except you know there was nothing come like financial aid so and i you know especially some of the most of the uc schools i couldn't afford to really go especially compared to a full ride um uh so that was like the biggest reason i chose asu uh mostly just financial and i'm pretty sure they were just had a big effort of like keep like anybody who tests well in state like offer them the ride because <laughs> it's right. cheapest for in state and so um that yeah, another big part of it was staying in state for financial reasons and like and wasn't a part of my initial planning but obviously there was like a giant you know financial uh, recession like that happened while i was in college um right. so that definitely like in kind of like affirmed my thoughts of like oh well i'm glad i didn't you know go and take on a ton of debt to go in in a recession when there's uh to like have to go fight in the job market after this so in college honestly it was a lot of it was momentum. There was a classes that I was in uh, and a club that I was in DECA and into the marketing classes. And this, a lot of this was just people that I was friends with were in these classes. Uh, like it, it, a lot of it was just momentum based. I was like, Oh, here's right. a, a class that I liked, um, that I was doing well in it, that you can do in college and like, has an interesting, like, at least at the time I thought how it would, um, lead to possibly an interesting job field and, you know, marketing and advertising and stuff like that. Um, so I just kind of went with it and it wasn't like a ton of, I, I didn't put a ton of analysis into it. And like, honestly, like, I'm sure this is a little bit different than a lot, you know, uh, I would say a lot of, uh, at least some of the uh, other guests and, you know, people listening where it's like, I kind of just haphazardly went with like something that I kind of enjoyed and like thought with like, oh, there's, there's money in there. I'll just kind of deal with, go with this. And so, but yeah, that was like, I, so I got a marketing BS, uh, from a ASU and, like it immediately went out into the job field like just and didn't you know i didn't i don't have i still don't have any postgrad or, or anything like that um but i think a large part of that was just at the time i was really focused on my own like per outside of work interests mm. and so i was just like i'm just gonna find something that pays bills and uh i like honestly initially i didn't even get a job that used my degree i just got a job doing like uh, call center work at for paypal and so it was like a you know, it was tech related, but, you know, I was just answering phones. This was, you know, very basic stuff. So uh, I just kind of did it because it was like I I was coasting through like I coasted. I spent most of my time in college either like, you know, like I, I was coasting a little bit. I was, I was, you know, hanging out with my friends. I was partying. I was you know working out and doing my like my passion on the side. So I was my division. My focus really wasn't on work. Um, initially coming out of school and I just kind of like fell into this job at uh, PayPal and then kind of floated around, I guess, for a little bit until I went and ended up at Yelp. So um, how did you find and fall in love with martial arts? Okay. So yeah, um, I, at an early age, I think like culturally, I didn't have like a ton of, um, exposure to like 
masculine other than my father I, there's no like masculine asian figures i could see there's there's no one um and there's not really any in media and so i watch a ton of old kung fu movies like a lot of bruce lee a lot of jackie chan a lot like uh, like a lot of this old stuff and uh that became like at least i don't know i was like a teenager and stuff that was like a huge like just entertainment there where like i could see myself you know, and, and like, not in a non like emasculated, like some of the media that you see, it's just like, you're not, you're like a side character. And it's like, uh, so the, I guess the, the media that I found that portrayed, uh, you know, somewhere I could see myself was that ended up being kung, like Kung Fu movies. And that kind of led me to actually like doing some martial arts in like my teenagers and like uh, early high, like I was like 14, 15 doing like Kung Fu um and it's just you know something my, like i found like it was just entertaining but like from that i just had a general interest in martial arts but i stopped training all that stuff and like uh in june in high school i a friend a, a group of friends uh were in someone's house and we did backyard boxing and i boxed a kid who was like he was like the center on the football team and he was like he he fucked me up. I was bleeding from my nose. I was like, oh my God, I have no idea how to fight. And I realized like, you know, I did like a little bit of Kung Fu. I had, you know, black belt, blah, blah, blah. And I realized in this moment, like, I don't know what's going on. I have zero clue how to fight. I should learn. I should really like all the stuff that I thought I knew, throw it, out, throw it away. So in that moment, I was like, all right, I got to go back to the drawing board and figure out this thing. And like, I got to learn. And this is right around the time UFC is just starting to get popular. The mm. ultimate fighter is on television. Um, and so I catch this and there's a, a, a person on the show who's from Tempe. He's like fighting out of a gym in oh, cool. right, 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 right near me. And I'm about to, you know, I'm, I think I've already gotten my acceptance. Actually, no, this was before my senior year. So I plan, I had already applied to ASU and I was, but in the moment I was like, all right, Tempe's not far. I wasn't even thinking in the future. I was like, I'll just start training right now. I'll find a place. It's real close. And so I started working out um, right before my senior year um, at this MMA gym um, uh, called Arizona Combat Sports. Uh, still around, still still throwing, holding it down. Um, but uh, uh, I started training then, and I just fell in love right away. Like the very first day, I just went in and got my ass kicked immediately, and I was just and the fact that everyone there could beat me up was like amazing to me. I was like, Oh my God, I, I have to learn this. Everybody here knows something that I don't, I can learn it. I can learn what they know. This is going to be great. And like, and then it was incredibly difficult. I got my ass kicked for years before I was like any good. Um, but like that was, that what made me like who I am today, that formative process, that struggle. Um, I would say that fundamentally changed like, who I am and like taught me so many different things level in terms of work ethic, in terms of understand not just how to work hard, but how to work to be good at something, to really develop skills. It's like to build, like it taught me the basics of building skill in a craft. Um, and I would say that's the applicable skill that you can take anywhere with you else in life is if you can learn how to get good at something, you can then use that same, process to get good at other things. So I would say that thing it, starting in, you know, when I was 17 years old, that choice of like, oh, I should learn how to fight. Like it ended up being, it went up way beyond just some, you know, 
childhood impulse of like, oh, somebody beat me up. I, I should learn how to fight to it actually did something to make me a better person. So, I mean, it was just kind of roundabout way that I fell into this thing. But um, I had something that like I still do to this day regularly. Um, I still I mean, obviously now in a pandemic, it's a little hard uh, to train, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I can't wait till, you know, eventually when we, this is all over and, you know, we can go back to regular training in the gyms, life will be good. But, um, it was just, it's something that I personally think every, it gave me confidence and gave me and like empowered me as a person, um, to give me like real confidence, um, just genuine confidence. And like, I feel like, I mean, everybody has seen people bluster and like almost get into fights at, in public situations out at bars and, you know, embarrassing situations you see. And a lot of this is from like uh, insecurity. Uh, it's like people are like they're unwilling to like, you know, I got to look tough. I have to do this. And uh, like so many of these things can be washed away. Like in my experience, like by people who are just like, if you can just get all this insecurity out of you and like martial arts was a big thing for me to get all rid of a bunch of that insecurity of like, oh, I can, I know how to take care of myself. I don't need to present a, um, a front of being tough or act tough. Um, and this was huge for me because I, I can even take it back actually. Um, I had a kind of anger problem growing up and I, I got teased um, a lot, like not a lot, but like I got teased a decent amount in like junior high and high school and stuff. And like, I had an explosive temper because I would just get super frustrated about it and and like this would just lead to more of it because kids are assholes and they just like continue to mess with someone that they like they think is like oh this will be great and like i didn't have a lot of confidence and i realize now that that this explosive temper was because of uh, insecurity like uh i couldn't i wasn't in control of the situation or myself and i had this I had to have this crazy reaction to what was going on and like now as an adult I was able to get a handle on all of this, you know, in my kind of early twenties, but like, tr you know, training and just, uh, growing as a person and like leveling out and calming down. And, um, but like, I think a huge part of that, I mean, a, a huge part of that for sure was just kind of becoming more secure in myself as a person, um, through this thing that I had to do that was, you know, very hard and kind of affirmed my confidence in all these ways. Well, cause like, there are moments where you have to push through and you have to, you know, you have like you have to absorb, like literally absorb punches and go through the fire in order to like do what you need to. And like that builds confidence of like I can do other things like that's not scary. What I was just doing was scary. This, you know, whatever thing at work or in your home life or whatever. Like so for me, I, I was able to take lessons that I learned from, you know, martial arts and apply it to the rest of my life. And it kind of helped me grow and like many different levels um so i i mean that's the thing i i guess really that i've that most i i most fell in love with about martial arts is like how much it applies outside of just you know it's not just it's not just fighting like there are definitely right. you know people who learn how to fight and they're just meatheads and all they know how to do is fight. they don't they're not thinking deeper and there's not it's not making their lives that much better i get that but for me it's definitely been like something that kind of uh I don't know what the word is, but like just fundamentally like helped me grow and like it gave me something to improve at, at every day. So 
I think that's awesome, man. I mean, tell me you fondly look back at it now when you said you you spent years getting your ass kicked and you were, you know, the um, everybody in the gym kicked your ass for years. Like what kept you going back? It almost seems masochist at this point, right? Like definitely. Right. It's uh, it's a it's uh, not it's not for everybody. As much as I like just went on literally like a several minute spiel about how much I love it. And um, it's something that you really it's just your want to improve has to overtake dealing with uncomfortable things. And so, yeah, it was definitely a, um, <clears throat> I would say like the thing that kept me coming back was just the knowledge that there were other people better than me there. Like mm. there is a direct knowledge of like, I don't have enough yet. You know, it's, I don't have enough knowledge to, to leave. I like what I wanted was to be able to really, or at least originally was be able to defend myself and be able to handle myself. And, and then, I didn't have any, like I ended up, you know, doing a couple amateur fights and stuff like that, but that wasn't the intention when I first started. Like I didn't want to be a professional or, um, and you know, I never, you know, fought like other than a couple amateur fights, like never went down that road really. And so, but the goal was just to, I don't know, feel more comp. Like I didn't know what the goal was. The goal was I wanted to learn how to like, just, right. I want to learn that. Um, and I wasn't satisfied until I got like, far enough down. Um, and I was like, I think, I think that's like the number, I mean, that's the number one thing with all sports and all, I guess, walks of life is if you can see someone kind of deal with adversity in that thing and they're just enjoying the actual task, then you can enjoy it. If you can enjoy it enough to come back every day and get really good at it, if you're, you're willing to do it every day. And so like, just like podcasting, just like, you know, everything else, if you're willing to do it every day, you're going to get great at it. First, congratulations to you. You've been at it for 13 plus years, which is really hard, um, especially something that is, is, is physically taxing. Yeah, definitely don't feel as young as I used to. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, look, there, there's a reason why fighters don't last very long, right? Like it, it's yeah. very, very intense, but we are living through a, a time where we see a lot of the end results of people's success or even the illusions of success, right? Like a lot of what we see definitely. on the internet isn't real. And so we're not necessarily taking on things to enjoy the journey anymore. There's a lot of, you know, uh, 100%. I don't know, life hacking or they want the result in so many things. Like that's why diet fat. I think, I mean, I've thought about this a lot. Like I see diet fads, you see, you know, it just like life hack with just so many things. I, I it's almost like the attitude is people only want the result or like the actual, thing that they want and they have no interest in the actual process of getting there um and with most things in my experience in life so far is that most things that are actually worth having are very difficult like any skill that's worth attaining like that i would consider worth attaining is not something you just get by you know sitting down and trying you sit down and you try for days and years and months or or got that backwards but um you keep going and then you eventually, you know, you can't paint the first day you sit down to on in front of, you know, a piece of paper, you, you have to keep working at it. And so, um, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think there's like a lot of life right now where, and I think some of this is just commercial nature of things is people want to, you can't sell someone, Hey, this is going to be years and years of struggle. So you know, like, how about I, you have to sell them the shortcut because that's what people, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, monetary value in someone saying like, Hey, there's no shortcut. They're like, well, then well, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm just going to do all this hard work myself. Um, 
so I, I mean, I get why some of this stuff exists, but I definitely agree with you. And then it, it's, it, um, it, I think in, especially in some aspects, especially with like, I feel like younger people, they don't, if you're not exposed to the process of getting to what you want, if, if what you want is something that's actually really hard to get, then you might, uh, I guess, for, well, first off, you vastly underestimate how difficult it is. And then I guess almost like undercut like if in my experience you can't get good at anything or achieve anything unless you really actually enjoy it and so there's right. so many people who not so many people but there's i find that there's people doing things for the end result and that in itself is gonna like it's not gonna usually get you where you want to go one example i hear is like i'm a, a huge basketball fan and people say now that like kids today because the sport is so popular guys make so much money everybody knows how much money they make mm -hmm. there are a bunch of people playing and they're in even in their young ages they're worried about making money in the future versus actually just playing every day and getting good right. and like then you're gonna get tired of it you're gonna get bored because you're it's a job to you and you're in high school and you're like trying to think you're thinking about all the money and you're like how long will that motivation last versus like i love basketball i'm gonna play basketball today i'm gonna play basketball tomorrow and the day after until i'm fucking dead because i love to play basketball that right. person will always play and continue to improve versus i really want money because that motivation will eventually dry up and like right. no matter how much money it is how much money you how much you want it like that kind of motivation, like love of something is always more motivating than like uh, wanting an end, an end result in my, in right. my and you, you have to focus on like you got to pick something as, as you did with, with jiu-jitsu and, and, and martial arts. Like you have to pick something that you love and that you actually don't mind doing for the rest of your life. And you were lucky enough to find that at a very early age. Most definitely, people don't definitely. find it. And, and even, you know, let, let's, you know, also... Uh, give give space and just accept the fact that many people don't have the luxury, the financial, social luxury, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I realize that for sure. Right. Which so we're we're very lucky, right? Like, um, you know, the the fact that I can attempt to create a podcasting business today in 2020 is an amazing luxury and a privilege that I fully understand, admit, and I'm grateful to my wife and you know to everything just immensely because. I get to do something that I feel so passionate in my heart that other people don't because they have literally more life concerning things to worry about. But I think the the thing that you've learned and, and so this is a paradigm mindset thing, right? Like if you focus on the destination, you don't really allow yourself to learn as you go because anything that happens you look at in life relative to is it going to help me get there as fast as i can wherever where, whereas if you focus on the journey like you're in the moment right and 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 here's a perhaps a, a morbid thing but like shit you might die before you get there so why obsess over the destination right like li live and it is not you know a, a hokey like live in the moment but sort of is right like focus on today focus how you can improve today and you know, you mentioned like the benefits. So when most people think of martial arts or physical training for a long period of time, they think of physical benefit, right? You lose a ton of weight, you get fitter, you get buffer, you get stronger. But you and everybody else who's been through it, the biggest impact is to their mental health, right? The mental clarity, their focus, their confidence, their, you know, as you mentioned, this helped you become better at everything else in life. And, and so, you know, I, I think... For young folks that are listening, for parents that are listening, you know, 
encourage yourself, give yourself grace and encourage your children to pursue things that may not actually help them get into a college or may not have the best ROI. Make your kids wrestle. Make your kids wrestle. It'll make them so like the, some of the most mentally, the most disciplined, most tough, uh, like willing to like make things happen in terms of their work ethic. They've all been like so many of them wrestlers and I highly recommend it. Sorry. Yes. But like some of them come up with like really, messed up ears and i don't know oh why. yes yes that's a hundred yeah i don't I, that's a I, that's a side I, that's definitely a side effect definitely a side effect a side but if you wear the guards animal. if you wear the guards you're good we're, we're, we're the guards you know we, we may wear the ear guards. children. we don't want to have them yeah. you know cover your ears. children's ears for sure <laughs> <laughs> um this is great man I, I and and i'll say observing you from afar right we're, we're cousins first cousins however we didn't live in the same state we've never have and just to even see you develop through this stretch of time i i can definitely attest to the fact that you grew right like just as a dude and just you be you your love of it also shut everybody else up right because you are dedicated to it right and it wasn't like you chose to go to the gym not go to school right like you did both and you figure out a way. My to parents would thing. definitely not have been okay with that. They were like, "I will right, we'll let you do this, but you're not quitting." <laughs> right, and so for for folks that are listening too, like if you want to do something, but you're under the rule of thumb or financial influence of parents or anybody else, like you can't just say "f you" and go do the other thing, right? Like you have to figure out a way to make both of it work. Um, but while you do that, you have to be so dedicated. So that the people that are surrounding, surrounded by you, or you know that surround you rather, are they, you you give them nothing to say back to you as far as you know you're gonna outwork them. You're gonna, and it's not necessary to prove them wrong. It is really to prove yourself right because you do this for yourself. But in the process, sort of your relationships improve, right? When you mentioned you had anger issues as a kid because you were punked on, like your personal relationships, right, with your with your family and with your friends, like that must improve too because you're just in a better mental state and i was just a happier person yeah it, it just in general like yeah becoming more secure and stable and confident and like who i was and like all that being able to like shut out other things and ignore things like that like that definitely made just put me in a better i just so much a happier person in general like i've had got that definitely people who you you know when you see someone you haven't seen in years they're like wow you just seem so much more relaxed <laughs> calmer that, that's a backhanded compliment but it used to be an exactly asshole, yeah we'll, it used to be a spaz <laughs> <laughs> so you moved to new york 18 months ago right you you yep. with your company um you know you took the opportunity and you and i had talked about it for a long long time and um i think it was one of the best decisions you've made um definitely, not only definitely. from a exploration of world perspective but a discovery of self's perspective um what was it like going from you know, uh, very sort of homogeneous, both, you know, racially and, uh, you know, politically or ideology, ideology, whatever, ideology, ideologically, <laughs> ideology. Yeah. That one ideologically. Um, there you go. Uh, it's, it's, it's late. How, how was that like going, going to New York? I mean, because for you, it was unique because your mechanics of your day job didn't change. Right. So Yes. For most people, when they go to a new environment, everything changes, changes. So you don't know yes. what to attribute it to. But your paycheck still clear, came from the same place. Your management structure was the same. Your your routines were the same, but your physical surroundings changed. So how was that like? How did you what would you 
that was um, what did you learn about yourself i was definitely yeah um definitely i agree it's definitely uh, very lucky that i got to keep doing the literal exact same job but in a new place um definitely give me at least some stability in my life um but I mean, it was definitely the best decision I've ever made in my life as an adult, really, to change, you know, change up my life and go somewhere new. It was a difficult adjustment to basically take all the friends and family, you know, that I've been around my entire life. Um, and, you know, like this large friend group that I kind of cultivated back in Arizona and just basically have to cut ties. With, you know, like basically have to just now it's an Instagram friendship because I'm not going to be home for, you know what I mean? Like, sorry, but like, I can't just hang out all the time. Right. Um, so like, you know, it was a big adjustment there, you know, having to, you know, remake, you know, make new friends. Um, luckily, um, I had a couple of friends, uh, from Arizona, like a very close friend of mine and his fiance, um, and moved out ahead a couple months of me. So like, that was kind of a, you know, support base that I had, but it was just, kind of getting to throw myself in something brand new where a whole city, I mean, culture, like culturally, everything was so different uh, from Phoenix, obviously. Like I'm in the, sub. I was, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and I was living in, you know, less of the, uh, more in the central Phoenix area, actually kind of in the city uh, before I moved, but just the difference of, you know, you know, not like a spread out suburban, home kind of city like phoenix versus like it's you know act, uh, new york city the big you know this sprawling metropolis is was such a different adjustment and then i moved in um to lower east side which is you know right next to chinatown and so mm. just being in a place where most like 50 percent of the people walking around would be you know like or maybe a little less but like the majority of people walking around are asian like and that's new for me. That's brand new, you know? And then I remember having an experience, like when I first moved to the city, I was in a nightclub and in Koreatown somewhere. And like, I was looking around, and I was like, these are all like early twenties, Korean kids. Like, this is so weird. Like, and like, like Korean American kids. Like I've never had, like, I've never had that experience where I, that, that I could think of where I'm just like out on a random Friday night. And I'm like, wow, this, I'm in a bar. I'm like, it's only Korean kids in here. This is weird. Um, I, I, culturally it was like a huge expansive movement for me to just kind of be around like so many different things and you know like hear language like i hear a language other than spanish and english uh when i'm walking around um and just like restaurants like trying new things like because i i was going in a place where i had to be alone a lot more because obviously i get to change my friend groups and get new friends and go through this like process where like you know you're like trying to see who's who you can actually relate to deeply on a personal yeah. level. That's difficult to find people like that in the city, even in a city this big with this many people. Um, so I, I'm kind of alone a lot more, but in in some senses, I feel like um, I see more of myself around. And so it was, it was, it's been a very diff- interesting experience. Um, uh, kind of like in, a lot of introspection, a lot of time for introspection because I'm, you know, and especially now, obviously in the pen, being, <laughs> being in New York, being in yeah, exactly, being in then, but then being in like empty New York City in a pandemic has definitely been a crazy experience. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's cool, man. Um, just a personal anecdote, like I, I saw you in New York City. I think the week after you moved, um, you know, some some things that I felt from you, we hung out a bunch of times that week, was just excitement and somewhat cautious anxiety of like, I'm finally here, right? Like. Um, you know, you, you made it to the big city. And then uh, a few months after that, I got to see you again in, in August. 
and you know you you adapted very quickly you know you you felt and i I think it's just that you know and, and let's put the two stories in perspective right like you had to have your had to have had your experience with martial arts to give you the confidence because i don't think without that you would have even gotten to a point where mentally you would have felt comfortable saying fuck it i'm just going to move to a brand new city with with no you know uh friends or family right and then so you still maintained you know your participation in the sport and, and sort of leverage that to build your own network out there um so i i think you know so many benefits i think even jokingly we'll look back and say you know you got your ass kicked by a big ass football center dude in the backyard and like that's what sparked this entire life change but it really did it really it i owe did. that guy i actually i i feel like i saw him at some point in college and we were like definitely like <laughs> i definitely had to like uh give him a hug and shit just like oh you have no idea he was a super nice dude too <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening out there thank you uh our, our entire family thanks you um yeah. Let's touch upon what you've been doing the last few weeks. Um, you know, I, I think we haven't really touched upon it, but, you know, our, our family, both of our families independently and obviously together as an extended family um, are, are very typical of Korean immigrant families where um, a lot of our ideologies are lean more conservative than not, um, you know, uh, given, you know, where our grandfather's political ideology was and with whom he aligned himself post-war and, um, you know, both of our our, you know, families uh, grow up and grew up in the church and, and sort of the conservative ideologies still run through at our parent generation level. And and so, you know, one of the things that I think has helped you and I, you and me connect um, is through our shared passion for uh, the social issues and the political things that we, you and I strongly believe in and that we aren't necessarily too shy away from admitting in, in public in semi-public forums, um, you know, like here or on social media or wherever. Um, and so tell me what sort of sparked that and what, and, and what about the fact that you happen to be in New York City really helped you express that? Because you used to, and it's quieted down a little bit, but, you know, um, you, were, you were an active member of the New York City protest on an almost daily level. And, you know, I it was really cool for me and I'm sure it was for many of your friends to get an inside look at what those were like, especially after the news cameras had gone away because it wasn't cool anymore. Or, you know, somebody said some crazy shit. So the attention was somewhere else. Um, Take me through that process. What got you out to the first one? What was it like? Just take me through the whole thing. In general, I I feel like starting probably in college, I started to you know learn more and educate myself a little bit more on like the general like the plight and struggle that black people face in this country and just in general like institutionalized racism um and how it affects just you know from you and me to like just it's obviously black and brown communities um just kind of how that kind of interweaves and it like affects life in general like then obviously when uh george floyd was murdered and we saw we all get to see the video and it's it's un, like it's undeniably evil and like you can't like I remember I just remember like rage just a deep rage welling in and like I've always you know I've known like this is not the first time I've like I, I know about what's police brutality and I knew about inju- social injustice that's you know like I like in college I, I think growing up I like I had some friends who uh, 
like they were telling like i remember i remember the first conversation i really had about friends telling me about like driving while black you know what i mean like getting pulled over for no reason and then getting in trouble for you know small th- you, you have your weed on you and now you have a drug charge and now you have this on you and now you have that charge and like it, it's it's and like i didn't understand that i grew up you know asian in the suburbs no, like in fact my race was less like in in my experience I'm more less likely to get pulled over than like even other people because they see a, someone driving poorly and they're like, oh, he's Asian. Yeah. And they just go about like, that was my experience you know, with race affecting me driving. You know what I mean? And then I, I get, as I make more black friends, you know what I mean? And I, cause I'm in college and I'm like outside of my little suburban bubble. Um, I like, and like, I, I, I'm starting to learn more. And after I see these videos and, you know, I see that, oh, there's protests happening in New York City. Like, I'm I'm out there. Like, even in a pandemic, like, the rage that I felt, like, I felt it so many, like, I felt it, you've seen other, there's other videos that people have been, happened in the past and other, you know, think, like, this has happened, these protests, you know, protests have broken out before, but, like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was as educated and as passionate then as the last time when things broke out in, like, 2016. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that but like you know i was in the process of educating myself and like um when this time came around like like just as soon like as soon as i heard there's things in new york city i went out and like i had to be out and i was out every almost every day for like three four weeks like the first month i think i just have felt like a sense of kind of obligation of like i mean like the like the, uh, the word i like you know like the korean word han i feel like <laughs> properly encompasses like how i like the rage i felt of seeing this happen and like for another person of like seeing this of just like seeing this terrible like incident happen and then realize that like nothing will happen like unless everybody gets together and makes a sufficient noise nothing will happen for like to get justice like right and like even like right now his uh these those officers are up on charges who without you know a burning down part of the city without literal worldwide protest would that have happened i don't know right. i i kind of i pretty i pretty much doubt it if it's not on video it doesn't happen for right. sure none of it happens so like in the moment like i had this like and still i might still I still feel obligated and I'm, I'm trying to go out as much as i can but like why well, I, I, yeah i've been going out like once a once or twice a week in the last like actually like yeah yeah about once a week the last couple like last month or so last so it's definitely died down a little bit in terms of size and stuff but and like obviously like i think part of it was that was early in the shutdown too and there's like not anything else going on so um people have more time more people have more time so i think that was part of it in the beginning um but like I think that was that was why the protests were so big is I wasn't the only one. Everybody else saw the video. Everybody else, you know, can't we started to as a as a country, I think the education, um, the education level on a lot of these things started to happen. And I think at a a level that I honestly never anticipated because like I was able to like educate myself on some of these things over time through, you know, through friends, through the Internet and like the level of like that same information being able to spread to everyone as the interest like and uh willingness to learn spiked like during the protests i think was like like has led to definitely like 
I don't, I, I don't have to say this, but it's encouraging to see how many more people know about what's going on right now, about how America has been our entire lives, but a little bit under the curtain for some of us. You know, if, if you grow up and like, like, yeah, just, just the nature of with communities that are separated um, and if you're not going to, if and that's just how some, like a lot of the places that people grow up in communities are separated by class and race. And you can kind of tell, like you can, in some areas you can tell by the zip code, you know what I mean? Like what kind of demographics and that's like just how it's been set up. And it's not like, I don't know, like it's I'm not pointing fingers now, but like, that's how things are set up. And because of that, you're unaware of other communities issues. And so like, um, un- and now we have the internet to educate us. And like, I think, and we've had, I think several instances in the, you know, of protest, like mass protest breakout. But I think now in this moment, I think like what motivated me was the same thing that motivated so many people was just like the, you know, more education, more information, being able to see what actually happened. And, you know, in some of some, like several of these cases, these, like these, devastatingly you know fucked up videos like they 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 spark anger and they should right. and that's what we need like sometimes like not sometimes but like when something is wrong you owe it to like that person who is be- being wrong you it to yourself on a moral level you owe it to like whoever taught you about morals to be angry like it, it's right yeah. if something is wrong you should be angry about it and like we should all be angry about it and like make something change make it change and then we don't have to be fucking angry about it anymore nobody has to say anything if we can fix it and that's what we're at like i mean we're i mean that's what we're trying to do now so i I think look i you know to to bring full circle right like we we started earlier part of the conversation with your parents desire to be english first in the household because back then and perhaps even now so many immigrant parents just desperately want us to be accepted in this country and not to be discriminated against so that they think that if we perfect their language, right, if we learn their customs and learn to eat their food, and for many immigrants, it is still a them, not a we, because we still get treated differently. And then for you to have gone through this amazing life experience and to come to a point where we're all collectively realizing that that's actually not enough. And that's actually perhaps a little bit misguided in an attempt to help everybody feel equal that us getting accepted or us not getting discriminated against because we speak English so well or you don't have an accent or, you know, um, Oh, you were born in Arkansas? Like, where are you really from? All these, you know, bullshit questions that you've been getting all your life. Like, it's really, I think, a an amazing example of the evolution and the progress that not only you have made as a person, but we as a community are continuing to make because only when more people are aware and educated and informed on how we can actually go enact change uh, can we really fully begin to heal and move forward um and and so um man i I want to i just want to say something right here i don't want to cut you off too bad but like um i definitely want to like just speak to like 
the education part and like learning and growing is the biggest part here because like i didn't know any of this shit in college i did like i remember taking my first asian american studies in, in college just for the credits because i needed some more like specific whatever the fuck credit it was and i just thought the teacher was kind of like dr like dramatic about you know i was like that's not that racist like, what are you talking about blah 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 that's not and then like it was because i had been raised in an entirely white community like uh literally by everybody like now it's like people know what gaslighting is i didn't know what gaslighting meant like i didn't know what it meant when people like say racist things and then everybody be like i don't know what you're talking about it's not that important why are you being so sensitive it's not that like i didn't know what any of this stuff was i lit like and i would repeat on the behalf of my like people talking sh who would like use their logic to justify saying fucked up things to me i would repeat that same logic and justify fucked up things said about me or to other people and and like i had to learn i over and like we all have to learn and change and do better and like it's all about improvement and like this is something i learned from martial arts too you know what i mean like who you were in the past is not like what you could do in the past and what you were capable of. That's just a, that's just then where you can keep changing. You can improve, you can be better. You can, we can all get better, but you have to actually want it and you have to actually care about it. And you have to, and so in this case, you have to care about other people and on, educate yourself and take like, take the time to do like, take the time to, yeah, like just put more than like put emotion and feeling and caring and education and do all these things like, and improve. I don't yeah. know. And, and also, really, I mean, great, great points, man. Like, and I think it's also really, really important. Um, wanting to do better can exist in the same frame of mind as not shitting on the past, right? Definitely. Um, you can't, nothing that, you know, circumstantially, whether it's your parents or your society or your community, you know, what good is it to be angry about what's happened? Let's take that energy and try to move things forward. Right. And, 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 you know, always have grace. Um, I, you know, the older I get, and then since I've been a, a dad, like just can't imagine our parents, you know, yours came in their twenties, mine came yeah. in their thirties. Like how the fuck did they do it? Like to move and pick up at my age now a new to go to a country where I don't understand anything. Of course, I'm going to go back to what I know worked in my own world and then to think that that's going to work for them. So we, the Definitely. privileged, Americanized Asians, can be angry at our parents all we want of, how could you do it that way? Oh, you don't know any. And well, no shit, they don't know anything. They didn't. Yep. But uh, you yeah. know what? They moved there, right? They sacrifice and they still sacrifice so that we can have a better life in the definition that they think it is and we have to allow for that to exist in the same breath as thank you and i want to improve on that by trying to make it a better life for all of us and that includes everybody yep. and, and so that's that's the that's the progress that i am so proud of and that i'm so excited to see in you and in myself and all those around us and we're not done yet we haven't even done anything right like we're just, you know, at we have to do more. And and so again, same duality, right? We need to do more, but also accept that we're just starting to learn. Um, you know, this conversation would have been different six months ago. It certainly would have been different six years ago. Um, and when we talk, you know, again, 
not to say that we're not going to talk between that, but when we talk again in six months, we're going to have new perspectives and, and new ideas and new actions, right? And then hopefully in six months, um, you know, we'll, we'll be uh, under a new presidency, um, please, hopefully. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and so I, I think that's the, the progress of life. And um, for you to have started your life in Russellville, Arkansas, and then to go to a place that wasn't very diverse, but then to also have found your passion in, you know, fighting and, you know, competition and all those things. And then to end up at the biggest city in the planet and to really find yourself and to find your voice in standing up for other people. Um, and you're still so early in life, right? We're just literally getting started. So um, kudos to you uh, as, as your as your big brother. I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, I, I know I, I say that a lot and and then to give context to the audience, uh, our side of the family has six dudes, um, two sons, two sons, two sons. I'm number two, Andy's number six. So he's he's always been the baby to us. And yeah. uh, to to see you blossom uh, really really brings uh, me a, a tremendous amount of of joy and and pride and uh, much more than that, just excitement to see uh, what more you can do um, going forward. Um, so as you know, we, we finished the show in the, the form of a letter, uh, a letter to the dear or to the Asian American community. Um, so help us finish out the show, Andrew, and uh, share whatever is on your heart and finish the letter, dear Asian Americans. Uh, okay, uh, dear Asian Americans, uh, I guess I'll start with Black Lives Matter and. The reason why I feel like that's important to start lead with here is because of solidarity. Uh, when, in general, when the only way that oppressed peoples can stand, like, can achieve change is through solidarity with one another. And obviously, like, not everybody's, I would say, like, not everybody's experiences in an Asian American might be, like, include a ton of oppression. Um, especially not the way that you're, you know black people in this country might feel it, but I I would say somewhere in your family history, um, somewhere in your culture's history, you should understand what oppression is, though, and you should know, like on a personal level. You, I mean, you should at least understand it on an intellectual level. If you don't deeply feel what that is on a personal level, and like oppression and like what that what that does to people and the idea that like if someone else is facing it and you you owe it to everyone that like like you owe it to yourself and other people to like cons like be human like if someone is denying their humanity if someone is like hurting other people like us all together like it it like affirms your humanity to stand with them um, on a person on like an in an, an internal level uh, just beside all this other stuff we like i don't it, it like if you're really human and you see someone else struggling you should help pick them up like that's the base level of all this and so um that's at least what i want to start with but on a uh, other level i guess what i would say is like uh, what uh, the thing that i think changed my life was martial arts and the reason why is because it like pushed me and changed me and made me like 
it made me like struggle to achieve a standard in life. And so I don't think, like I said, my, what I did wasn't for everyone. Martial arts is hard. You, know, you get beat up, like you get injured. And so it's not for everyone. But what you need to do in life is find something that you're willing to get beat up for, so that you're willing to struggle for, that you're willing to get hurt for. Like whether it's emotionally, because you're not getting hurt physically, you know, maybe your craft, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is, like your, maybe your craft isn't a sport that you get physically hurt, but you find something that you love and chase it and like improve and like keep finding new things. Don't find just one passion, find many passions. Keep finding like, as, just go out and experience life as much as you can and like empower yourself in many different ways, whether it's with culture, whether it's with like physical ability, whether, you know, and with a sport or um, whether it's like language, whatever it is, just like in general, like maximize yourself, I guess it would be the end of that. I'm just rambling now. But. I, I think there's a lot of wisdom that is already brewed and continue to brew, right? Um, the thing that sticks out to me from what you just said was find the thing that you're willing to get beat up for. That might be a cause. And, and we've seen people get up get beat up physically standing up to police and standing up to um oppression physically um but metaphorically or, or physically you know what are you willing to like suffer for what what's it worth um and ultimately you know the point you made about oppression rings so true like our grandparents lived under occupation from another country they weren't allowed to speak their language folks you don't have to go very far back you know if, if you're lucky enough to have your grandparents alive talk to them right um and, and for, for some of our folks from you know vietnam it might be actually your parents right like um so it's not that far and then so you know um let's really as, as andrew has reminded us and encourages us to do um lead with humanity lead with kindness and, and try to understand um, why people are so angry instead of focusing on the fact that they're angry um, understand and try to empathize with why you would go out and protest and why you feel so passionate instead of you know focusing on just some of the negative stuff so um, you know this has been one of the funnest conversations I've had um, I had no idea what we we're going to talk about me neither. Um, <laughs> I wasn't and, sure. <laughs> and, you know, uh, suffice it to say, I think uh, our, you know, our other members of our family can listen to it and, and be really proud of uh, the person that you've become. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, this helps a lot of other people who may live or have lived in places where uh, they're just pressured or they're conditioned to uh, make fun of yourself to survive to fit in to be accepted and unfortunately never really equipped with the tools of healthy pride of cultural education of confidence to combat and to stand up and say even just the simple words of yo that's not cool right like it's so simple but it, it takes years so um again man I'm, I'm so excited for what's to come uh i am jealous that you get to live in new york city um, as, as ghost town as it is and who knows what New York City post pandemic will look like um, but continue kicking ass out there literally and figuratively um, we're, we're all very proud of the man you've become man and uh, 
you know, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with us, man. Thanks, Sean. Thank you so much for tuning in. That one was a very special one for me, and I hope you got something out of it as well. Uh, please do share the episode out with your friends if you did find it fun and engaging. And tag us where you can on social media at Dear Asian Americans across all platforms, except on Twitter, it's just Dear Asian M. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast, uh, please do take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Um, it does help get it discovered uh, wider and further. And I want to thank the two people who left us a review last week. And you can find those on our social media pages, both on our Instagram and our Facebook. And it would be a great honor of mine if you took the time to read those as well. We invite you to participate and get involved in the show. Follow us across all of the social channels. Um, engage with us. Shoot us a note. Write me an email. And if you're interested in supporting us, you can become a Patreon member. And you can find that on our brand new website, theoragedamericans.com. Or you can find the link in our Instagram bio. I want to thank my cousin Andy for coming on the show, sharing our story together, and really appreciate him coming on. Looking forward to sharing even more amazing Asian American stories with you in the coming weeks, and encourage you, as always, to fill out your census and to make sure that you register to vote and to ask for a mail-in or absentee ballot if that applies to you. Thanks again, as always, and please be healthy, safe, and happy. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and I'll see you next time.